Welcome to season four of the Agile Brand with Greg Kilstrom, where we discuss business agility through customer experience, employee experience, and digital transformation. I'm your host, Greg Kilstrom. The Agile World Podcast is brought to you by Tech Systems, an industry leader in full stack technology services, talent services, and real world application. For more information, go to techsystems.com. To read more about the topics discussed on this show, you can go to my website at gregkilstrom.com and read my latest articles or get a copy of my latest book, Meaningful Measurement of the Customer Experience, now available on Amazon and other retailers. My name is Greg Kilstrom, and I'm the host of the Agile Brand Podcast. Today, we're going to talk about the power of using analytics to improve your company and team performance. To help me discuss this topic, I'd like to welcome Steve Leeds, Vice President of Business Analytics for Ironwood Pharmaceuticals, and author of The Analytic Detective. Steve, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for inviting me on the podcast. Yeah, absolutely. Looking forward to talking with you. Um, So why don't we start by you giving a little background on yourself and what you're currently doing? Sure. So my background is uh, in applied math and statistics. And in school, I got pretty serious about it. I was really into it. So uh, I ended up studying and got my doctorate at University of Connecticut and uh, they even allowed me to teach there while I was doing it. So I got to teach adv- uh, intro uh, and advanced statistics there as a lecturer um, in the department. Um, so it was a dynamite experience at, at UConn. Um, from there, um, Amex came after me, American Express, in a good way. They weren't coming <laughs> after me for any, any sort of collection debt. But they came after me to work for them. And that was Really, uh, that, those were heady times. That was very exciting to be working for a huge um, American company. So I went over to American Express and I got kind of my first good exposure to analytics. And I worked there for a, a little over five years. And with that experience, I decided to start my own analytics company. Now, this is around the mid-90s, so we're going back away. I'm kind of dating myself. But um, so back in the mid-90s, I started um, – my own company and it was called uh the marketing investigator so for some reason i have this uh mm-hmm. had this idea about detective work and investigation but um it it was a, a real fun time to have um an analytic consulting company so i built models back then for financial services insurance automotive retail mostly on the direct marketing side of the business but i also got to do some legal consulting which was a lot of fun so, um, and around 2002, uh, I decided, you know what, I'd like to get back and work full time at a company. I, I love the consulting, but there was a little bit of loneliness, loneliness to it. And, um, you know, you were living from uh, client to client and I thought, you know, I'd like to get back. And I, I always wanted to, the one area that I had not touched in analytics was pharmaceutical. Um, and, uh, I ended up landing a gig back then in 2002 doing pharmaceutical marketing and sales analytics. So not on the clinical side, but mostly on the marketing and sales side of pharmaceuticals. And since then, I've been on that. I've been doing that. I've managed analytics group at a few uh, analytics groups at a few different pharma companies. And right now, I'm currently the VP of business analytics at Ironwood, which is in uh, Boston, Massachusetts. Nice, nice. Well, let's uh, start by talking about your book, uh, The Analytic Detective, to follow that uh, that yep. uh, detective theme there. So, yes, yes. Um, so why why did you want to write this book, and what do you feel needed to be explored as you were planning it? Yeah, so through my whole 
analytic business career up to, up to now, which frighteningly is checking in at about 35 years and counting. Um, I noticed this very common disconnect that was really never spoken out loud. It was kind of underneath the surface and nobody was talking about it. And I even looked for books and nobody was really writing about it. And so what this disconnect was is on the analytics side, you saw all these sophisticated dashboards and scorecards and reports. And a lot of the analytics folks were talking about the latest technology. And don't get me wrong, all that stuff was great. But what I noticed on the client side is they were privately saying, you know, this looks great, but what are the key takeaways I need to know beyond these basic stats in these reports? This is a lot of information. What are my big insights? What What's really important? What action should I take based on the data that you're seeing? You're the experts on the data. What do I really do with this? And And how does it answer the layered questions I've been asked by my boss? My boss is waiting on some of these answers and the questions are pretty layered. And I can't seem to get that out of these dashboards. And the client was almost feeling, you know, was feeling inadequate that they're supposed to just figure this all out from all of these maps and, and reports and, and pretty dials. And they would get a little frustrated. Um, and so I just, you know, in other words, the analyst and client were having a, a pretty big disconnect. And it was this quiet frustration coming from both sides. And I noticed that, as I said before, most of the analytics books were geared towards the technical side, data analysis techniques, you know, managing big data, data mining, machine learning, AI. There's so many good books out there, but there was no, but there's nobody talking about this piece. And I felt if, if people aren't communicating, then it really doesn't matter how cool your software is. If the client on the other end is just kind of nodding their head and said, oh yeah, you're really, this is great. This is really amazing stuff. But then they go back to their desk and say, I don't know what I'm going to tell my boss about these really key insights. And so that was one big area I wanted to cover in the book. And then I also wanted to point out that there's important analytical minefields along the way as an analyst that you have to be aware of. And you probably don't realize that you could you could get yourself in a bit of trouble. You want to avoid these things. Uh, and it can really inhibit your career path. And you wouldn't even know it just some very basic things. Um, and so I really wanted to dig in to those details. I'll give you an example. For in the book, um, you go into an elevator and the CEO is in the elevator and they recognize you. And they say, um, hey, uh, hey, Greg, what'd you think of those numbers this morning? And you say something like, I thought they would have been better. Well, you've actually now created a situation for your boss that your boss may have to answer, hey, right. your, your guy Greg said he didn't think the numbers were so good and you were singing a different tune this morning. Now you've got an issue with your boss. Um, you didn't really want to do any harm. You were just being honest. But now your boss is saying to you, you've kind of created a situation for me that I could have done without. And I realize you're being honest, but you're a bit naive to say that to the CEO in the elevator because they're going to come after me for that. And now I actually have a big problem. And that's just a small example. Something as innocuous as that could actually blow up your career. And I've seen it happen. Yeah. And so I like to write about this stuff and say, look, be careful. Use some emotional intelligence here. Um, you may not have been trained for that when you were in your analytics class, but this is something you've got to be careful about. So I talk a lot about that in the book and also ways you should even write emails uh, for as an analyst. 
And so I feel like I've kind of covered some new ground that folks don't really uh, get to. And it's really critical that you know how to do that. It's a, it's a very important part of your toolkit as an analyst. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Yeah, it's like talking about numbers, right? It's it's uh, it's definitely a, an important skill to have. So that's that's great. Well, you you use a term in your book, uh, the analytic trifecta. Um, can you talk a little bit about what that is? Sure. So, to me, I, I I even call this the fundamental theorem of analytics, if you will. It should be for any set of results, and it's actually very simple. And it sounds so simple. You think, well, yeah, everyone's doing that, but they're not. So the, the, the theorem it would go, well, whenever you have any sort of analytic results, the first thing is, what did you find? Uh, the second piece is, why is it happening or why is it important? And if it's important, how can it be addressed? So it's these three pieces of the what, why, and how. And if you can execute all three, I've called that pulling off the analytic trifecta. Now, that sounds really simple. The problem is that many analysts are very good at the what. They, and a lot of times, they just stop at the what. Well, what, what is the information? What are, what are the growth rates? Um, what's the performance? What's the response rates? What's the breakdown by age? They can answer what, what, what. They can put it on dashboards. They can give you pretty drop downs. They can show you all sorts of spreadsheets. And it's all the what. But what happens is that the minute somebody looks at any data, they immediately go to the why. Well, why is it happening? And the why is a complicated question. The why is actually where the analytic, the um, the analytics meets the business. Yeah. And you've got to know a little bit about your business to understand the why. Now, many analysts may not, or even a junior analyst may not understand the why. They may even be afraid of the why. That's okay. They don't have to have that answer, but they have to have that passion and interest to look for the why and talk to people and say, um, I'm thinking about this as being the why. What do you think? Um, and you get now you're making relationships with folks and you're thinking more about the business very differently than just producing data and answering requests. And if you've actually found something that's interesting and not just nice to know, then the question is, how can it be addressed? And that's that's really important. That's really important. And the analysts don't see why and how as part of their job. They, they don't feel comfortable in what they consider the deep end of the pool. But um, my advice is push through this fear. You'll find out that if you start down the road where you do this, you can become an irreplaceable asset at your company. And, you know, look, treading in these deeper waters requires acquired skills, which I highlight in the book. But don't just stop at the what. Don't just say, well, here's the data. I don't know where to go from there. But isn't it pretty? Doesn't it look great? Look right. at all these trends. Look at all these great slides. And that's a, that's a great skill to have. But go the next step and try to really think about the why and bounce it off of people and see what they think. And you'll learn so much that way. Yeah. Well, yeah. And, um, you know, to follow on to that, I mean, you know, it, I think sometimes it's easy to pull a chart or two and, and create PowerPoints and, and all those things. And yes, it's, it's perhaps descriptive of, um, what you're trying to, to, um, to show, but it doesn't really tell the story, right. Of, That's right. Of what you, what you're trying to say. So, 
you know, you kind of touched on this already with the the, the anecdote about the, the CEO in the elevator, but right. how do how do you learn how to tell a better story with, with number? I mean, you know, if you're, if you're a data person and you know, you know, you're a data scientist, you know, the numbers inside and out, you know how to get them. But um, sometimes, I mean, I know myself, even, you know, I, I'm not a data scientist, but I sometimes struggle tying the, the analytics part to the, the, the story and the, the compelling reason why, like, how do you learn how to do that? Right. So I think, so the first part is when you're looking at everything, you know, you got to ask yourself the question, what's the big takeaway here? What is the story um, that you were going to present to people? You may not know for sure what the big takeaway is. Go through it. Maybe you need to ask for help and say, what, what, what is really important to you, client, that you really need to understand? What's the type of insight you're looking for? So, you know, once you have that story put together, that's exciting. Um the thing is about storytelling, you know, so there's a lot of stuff about storytelling and um, people love stories, but the one thing people forget about storytelling is it requires patience from the individual on the other end. And you also have to be in the mood to hear a story. So if I tell you, I've got a wonderful story to tell you, wouldn't you want to sit down and listen? No, actually, I don't have time and we're in the boardroom and right. I don't want you to tell me a long story. And so that's where the storytelling stuff kind of breaks down. Because the time and the patience at higher levels in the organization are many times not going to be there. So whatever story you're going to tell, get to the point really quickly. Um, stories over a, a certain time limit are always going to get derailed. And the higher up that meeting is, the more you're going to get derailed even quicker. And you don't want to get flustered by that. Oh, I had this wonderful story to tell. And then somebody interrupted me who happened to be the CEO and said, I want to know about this. And, oh, they threw my whole story off. Well, right. be, be, expect that. That's the norm. So, uh, you know, so back to, you know, how do you build a concise story? The first thing is don't let the graphs and the charts just stand on their own. In other words, you know, when I always see these charts that just say monthly sales and then you see a graph and it's in, let's say, alphabetic order by state. And you could picture, you know, some bars going up and down and you look at it and say, OK, so what, what's my takeaway from this? I'm looking at the headline of that and it just says monthly sales. OK, yeah, I knew that was monthly sales. What are you trying to tell me in that slide? So I think it's really important for every slide you go through. The first thing is it should be really simple for somebody to di digest. You don't want the uh, recipient of that slide staring at that, once they get to like the seven to 10 second mark, they get frustrated. They get to feel dumb. Like, I don't know what they're telling me. I don't know what this slide is, what the point is. Bring them to it, make it really easy so that they can figure out within a few seconds exactly what your point is. Put a headline in that is so descriptive and compelling that it's not just monthly sales. Right. may say something like, you know, the state of Arizona has really jumped this, you know, this particular month and is, you know, double the rest of the country. So, OK, that's a, that's an interesting headline. And you can see it in there and then you see, wow, they're really up at the top. And then the next one is so far down, which then leads them to the natural question. Why is Arizona doing that? And you have the answer to that. So, you know, I think that's how you build a story. You lead people to, you know, what you're finding with the data. You don't want to make stories up. But you want to lead folks to that and it, you want to have a nice flow to it, but not too many slides and it shouldn't take too much time 
for folks to digest it because they're just going to get frustrated and you don't want to frustrate your audience. You don't want them going to their phones and starting to check their phones and email because you've lost them. So I think that's all part of it. Try to try the presentation out on a colleague and say, how, how are you receiving this? Does this, is this too complicated? Is it easy? And so that's a little bit of kind of slide. I like to build very simple slides. I don't like to put a lot in it. And I always ask my, I always ask the question, the minute I build a slide, I just say, so what? Well, yeah. And I, I think, I mean, the other phenomenon that I've seen is, you know, particularly with, if you're talking to an executive or a stakeholder that, you know, they know, they know the business, but they don't necessarily know the nitty gritty of, of what you're trying to show them. If right. you show them something, one of two things, at least in my experience, one, they're going to assume that it should be important. And if they don't really see the, if they can't connect the dots to, to your earlier point with the story, then they're going to be like, why are you showing me this? And That's right. if they do know the, what, what's important and they see that you're showing them this meaningless number, it's not going to look good on you, right? So it's right. it's uh, it's kind of, it's a lose lose proposition. In other words, to just right. kind of show, and I, I think you know this is this is kind of the challenge with there's a lot of dashboards out there. Like every every SaaS right. product, for instance, has a dashboard, and yep. so it becomes. You know, I've done a lot of work in digital marketing, and you know, let's say website analytics. It's like okay, well, Google Analytics has this like opening screen that shows a bunch of stuff. And so you just copy and paste that screen because it's easy to do versus creating yep. a custom report. And yet maybe only one chart on that entire dashboard is actually of use to the client or the, you know, the, the stakeholder that you're showing it to. And yet right. you just kind of do it because it's easy, not because it's right. Right. And, and, and it's cool to automate it. A lot of analytic folks love automating right. the dashboards and telling them look how great this is. I, I use the analogy in the book of, you know, when you drive your car, you have a dashboard, you have all these dials. Do you actually stare at your dashboard when you're driving? Right. No, you don't. You actually look out the windows. A good driver is assessing, is making insightful decisions based on what they're seeing in through their front view mirror and through their rear view mirror. And that's really the way the dashboard just tells them, look, you're almost out of gas or, you know, you're going too fast. That's valuable to look at, but that shouldn't be the whole thing. And a lot of folks have like designed dashboards to look like a car. Um, You know, maybe that's a male thing. I don't know. But a lot of times you see these dials and like, that's great. Those really look pretty, but I can't get insights from them from the specific questions. I can't ask a dashboard a question. Right. And then if it's not on the dashboard or it's not in the report, then I'm going back to the analyst and saying, look, you gave me all this information. Here's the question I really have. Could you give me that answer or help me on the journey to get there? And I think that's really what it's all about. And that yeah. that's really a journey you want to be on. And you want to be connected with your customers on that. So you really want to know what makes them tick. And you mentioned earlier about the, the – um, uh, you know, the CEO looking at something and saying, why are you showing me this? Or this isn't what I thought it was. You want to know your audience and you want to know if you can up front to get some intelligence beforehand of what they might react to. You don't want to get them upset. You don't want to put something up there that's going to upset them. Um, you know, try to stay away from that because they'll remember like, you know, you just told me, uh, I give an example of, uh, um, a new coach that's come in and the, uh, the team's been in fifth place for the last five years. And, 
and they uh, the analyst comes in the first slide they show is that they've been in fifth place and they're projected to be fifth place this year. Um, <laughs> that's not really a good presentation, not a good way to start right, right. presentation if you even make it past the first slide. But you know, from an analyst standpoint, that was accurate and that was a good forecast, but it probably wasn't what was called for. So. Right. All of these things I loved. I get involved in it. I love thinking about it and I see it all the time. And, and hopefully I, I can help people stay away from those minefields because yeah. I've been in them myself. So, yeah. yeah. Well, let's uh, switch gears a little bit here and talk a little bit about leadership and their role with reporting it. We've talked about presenting to leaders. Now let's talk about leaders' roles. So, you know, what are some of the biggest mistakes you've seen leaders make in regards to analytics and, and how can they avoid them so they don't pass on the wrong priorities to their employees? Yeah, I think um, I think leaders who treat analytics more like an internal process, you know, for spitting out dashboards and reports or look how much we've automated. Look at we're using the state of the art techniques. Um, you know, we, we're, we're on top of big data, we're doing machine learning, we're doing AI, um, and they spend a lot of time talking about terminology and sometimes they're even doing it to impress. And I can tell you the clients, they may like the name and say, wow, it's really sophisticated. But from a leadership standpoint, your clients are just going to be so enamored with all that for so long that, um, they, some these leaders sometimes forget that they should be engaging with their customers, their internal customers. And cool software is impressive, you know, and they a lot of times these leaders say, yeah, we have great stuff and everything. The rest will take care of itself. But that's not the case. It's really you're there for your customers. They're the ones who need the insights. They're the ones you need to ride with. And they're trusting you that you know the data and that you understand the business mostly like they do so that you could help them really dig out what's important in the data. And so I think leaders who spend too much time focusing on the beauty of analytics kind of miss the boat. They, I feel very strongly that um, leaders should be inciting their teams to be analytic detectives. And it's kind of how I got the name of the book. I, it, it, was, it was a bit by accident. I was, I was in a boardroom many years ago and an executive said, could you describe what your group does? Yeah. And I thought, I've got to come up with something really quick because they don't want to hear a long discussion. They were just, you know, saying, just give us a quick thing. Give us your name and tell us what your group does. And I said, my group um, are analytic detectives. There's mysteries in the data that we need to solve. That's our job. Nice. And this guy loved it. And other people loved it so much that it kind of shocked me. I said, well, I guess I have the title of my book. Um, right. So that's how it all. But really, leaders should focus on that. That's what they're there for. They're there to support their internal customers. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, you know, so what about those those leaders that, you know, some feel very comfortable with the numbers and, yep. and, and some don't? And, you know, what – how much should – you know, if a leader doesn't feel strong in with analytics and, and data and, and everything, you know, what what should they do to try to you know be a more valuable leader? Yeah. Yeah. That's a great question. And I've had I've had leaders who have not been comfortable and some of them have still been great and others not so great. And I think the difference is that um, don't worry so much about the fact that you don't have the analytic skills. But what you need to do is, you know, appreciate the folks 
who do have those analytic school, uh, skills in your group. And, you know, you don't want to fall into traps where you go to those individuals and say, you know, that really shouldn't take so long, right? Isn't Don't you have that automated? Don't we have that data sitting somewhere on the shelf? Right. You know, there's this, you know, there's this idea that somehow the data is just sitting there waiting to be delivered and you push a button and all the, all the insights come out. And I think leaders who maybe aren't as analytically knowledgeable, if they have that impression, that that's sometimes irritating to the employees because it, it does take a lot of work to pull this all together and make it look seamless. Um, and also, a leader who doesn't know that much about it shouldn't be afraid to ask certain questions about a technique maybe they're not familiar with or they feel you know, they're weak with it. employees love to explain that stuff right. and they feel like, wow, they're really interested in what I'm doing. So it, it's not a weakness to ask, you know, about maybe a certain technique they're using and say, hey, could you tell me more about that technique? I'm, I'm not as, you know, it's been a while since I've done it or I'm really interested in it. That actually goes well. And, you know, finally, I think really good leaders are just good coaches. So they want to just make sure that they keep their analytical staff on the supportive um track and that their job is to find key insights and not not get too wrapped up in the technology and the automation and good leaders will say that looks really good but let's make sure we're back on track as to what we are all about and what we're here for and good leaders will do that yeah yeah i think that's great advice well um one last question before we wrap up um as a fellow author um you know i like to i was uh, like to ask about the process of of writing as well um when you were writing your book, The Analytic Detective, um, what did you learn that either you would or wouldn't do again when, when writing a follow-up? Yeah. So I, this, was my, this was my first book, um, and uh, it, it, was, it was challenging. I'd been talking about it forever, and um, I just couldn't figure out how to get past certain things. So one of the, one of the real big – I had two really big insights that – took me a while. So when when you're writing, at least when I'm writing, and I think it's pretty common for the folks, if they're typing, um, I, I find that, you know, you go through, you look at your sentence, and the minute I have the sentence on the page, I hate it. I don't like it. Um, oh, who cares? Oh, this is lousy. I mean, that inner voice just continues to sabotage you. At least it does with me. And as I'm writing, I found I just hated it. After I'd go back, I hate it. I hate it. I don't like it. And it really stops you from writing. And I couldn't get anywhere. And I thought, how do I get around this? And I, I found, I can't remember where I saw it online, but somebody pointed this out that I think is incredibly valuable. When you're typing and you're putting it on the page, your brain has the chance to critique it. And that's the problem. And that's why you slow down. So how do you make it so that your brain doesn't have enough time to do that and you generally do it using some speech recognition software or you dictate it? And so I used one of the older ones. I know it's, you know, archaic, uh, the dragon naturally speaking. Yeah, I think yeah. That's like one of the first ones. And that's always worked well for me. I know there's probably there's plenty out there, but there's no time for your brain to critique you while you're um, actually doing your speech recognition. Nice. So I found that that was really good. And I started just dictating to the computer and just talking out loud. And like I, I was having discussions. Um, and um, I got to give a shout out, by the way, to Book Launchers, a uh, company that helps um, uh, nonfiction authors. They gave me uh, great coaching on that. And um, 
they were, you know, stuff we were doing transcripts and they were recording me and it, I got so much great content. So that was one big learning I got from writing. The other big learning for me was, you know, I'm obviously, I'm actively working and I'm involved in these analytic situations. And every time I was at a meeting, something would happen at the meeting that reminded me of, oh, I want to write about yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. And I started just putting it in my notes on my phone. And my notes things, I probably got like two good notes every day on some situation that happened where somebody did this or said that. And it was like real inside baseball stuff. And I just, I put it in and I kept reviewing it. And when I was writing and when I finished the book, I just made sure did I get, did I get like 90% of these in? And it turned out I got them all in. But I mean, the laundry list was huge and a lot of it was somewhat repetitive, but that kept me going as to, oh, I just experienced that at this meeting. I forgot about that. I want to write about that. And I was able to just put that down in notes somewhere so that I could write it. And that was really helpful. Nice, nice. Well, that's that's great. Well, Steve, thanks so much for joining. Uh, for those listening, what's the best way for them to keep up with you and what you're doing? Yeah, so um, the uh, website is the analyticdetective.com. And um, they can get all the information about me and uh, they go to the they can get to the book and to, and purchase the book if they like. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, that's that's probably the best way to get me is analyticdetective.com. Wonderful. Well, again, I'd like to thank Steve Leeds, vice president of business analytics for Ironwood Phar Pharmaceuticals and author of The Analytic Detective for joining the show. Thanks for listening to The Agile Brand with Greg Kilstrom. Talk to you next week. Thanks again for listening to The Agile Brand with Greg Kilstrom podcast, brought to you by Tech Systems. If you enjoyed the show, please take a minute to subscribe on your podcast channel of choice and leave us a rating so that others can find the show more easily. You can access more episodes of the show at www.theagilebrand.show. To get a copy of my latest book, Meaningful Measurement of the Customer Experience, visit my website at gregkillstrom.com. Until next week, stay agile.